good morning, church family. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we've been in a series over the last several weeks going through the letter of 1 Peter, looking at what, uh, what Peter writes to the exiles who have been scattered about because of their faith in Jesus, what he writes to them as they continue to represent Christ in a world that maybe doesn't want him. And so, uh, interesting letter, excited to continue uh, to walk through it. So 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to pick up here in just a minute in verse number 13. So 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 13. Before we, we jump into the text, I, when I was reading this, uh, these verses this past week, I was reminded of an event that happened shortly after we moved to Saltillo. Uh, Josiah plays a lot of different sports. That's my, that's my oldest. But whenever we moved here, it was getting time for baseball season. And so we signed him up for baseball. One of the nights that we had practice, we actually were practicing in Guntown. Now, that didn't mean a whole lot to us at that time. And so I just pulled up the GPS and figured out where Guntown was and got on 145 and started headed toward uh, where the field was. Well, as I was heading that direction, I got behind a Jeep. Now, I don't have any issues with a Jeep, but this particular Jeep was going extremely slow, at least according to my standards. Now, my standards may not be the same as yours, but it was under the speed limit, and I was already a little late for practice, and so uh, I needed to pick up the pace a little bit. And so I was uh, headed that direction. He was going a little slow, and as traffic began to pile up behind me, I started following him um, a little bit closer probably than I should have been following him on my way to Guntown. Now, none Nonetheless, we get to the stop sign there in Guntown. I don't, I don't know if there are more than one stop signs in Guntown, but that's the only one that I know of at this point in time in my life. And so we were at that stop sign. And while we were there, he stopped, about to go wherever he was going to go. We were about to get up, turn right by the school, go toward where the ball field was. But before he moved on from the stop sign, instead of going, he got out of his Jeep and started walking toward my truck. Now listen, I've experienced a lot of things in my life, but I've never experienced a vehicle uh, parked at an intersection with somebody walking toward me. Now, several different thoughts were going through my mind at this time. Maybe there was an emergency, or you know, maybe he needed some help of some kind, or maybe the Jeep broke down. I mean, I don't know. I didn't really know what was happening. So as he was coming my direction, I put my window down because he obviously needed to say something to me. Now once he approached uh, the, the, my, my vehicle. Uh, he wasn't asking for help or sharing with me about an emergency. Instead, he began to let me know that he didn't appreciate how closely I was following behind his Jeep for that stretch or that, uh, that, those particular miles. And so I'm going to be honest, as he's talking to me in that moment, his tone's a little, a little aggressive, I began to think about the headlines in the Guntown Gazette that was going to come out that week. Local Baptist preacher brawls in the streets of Guntown. Like, that's what was flashing through my mind. And so, listen, as he's talking to me, or he's uh, really kind of giving me some things that he, he thought that I needed to think about, as he's telling me these things, his Jeep begins to roll back. He clearly didn't put the vehicle in park before he got out. And so the Jeep is rolling back until, of course, it stops with the front of my truck, right? Like it wasn't going to go further than where my truck was. And so at that point, here's the scene. 
He's already upset because I've been, I've been following a little closely behind him. Uh, and now he's hit my vehicle, so I've got to step out of the truck, and I've got to assess the damage. So here are all these people piled up behind me. I'm out of the truck. He's out of his Jeep. We're looking at the front of mine. He's a little angry. We're obviously having a little bit of a conversation. And I'll be honest with you, it got a little strange for a moment. Now, as I'm standing there and I'm looking and he's looking and I realized there wasn't really anything that was happening, I, I, he's, of course, at this point in time, still uh, pretty mad. But I guess after he hit my truck with his Jeep, he felt like we were even and he got in his Jeep and he left. Now, no, no big deal at this moment, except I'm kind of scratching my head to kind of think about like, what in the world just happened? Like, what, what just took place? I don't, even, I don't even really know how to describe what, what took place in that moment. But since that moment, I thought more about what happened in that occasion. By the way, if that guy in that Jeep is here this morning, just know I apologize. Like, if we could make things right, I'd be cool with that. Or if he's watching online, hey man, I'm, I got no issues. You know, my truck's fine, no big deal. But since then, I've been thinking a little bit. Here's, here's what I thought about. What if we would have gotten in a fight out there on the street in that intersection? Like, what if that's actually what happened? What would the people behind us think? What would the people in the community think when they found out what happened, right? The, the, the local pastor brawling in the streets of Guntown. What would my son think, who, by the way, is in the passenger seat on the way to ball practice in this moment, right? Like, what if we would have actually got into a fight in the streets? And then I thought, what good would actually come out of a fight if it had happened? Would it make me in that moment feel more like a man? Yeah, I'm just gotta put that guy in his place, right? Like, is that what that would be like? I don't know if that's, is that manly? I don't know what I'm doing really at this point in time. I, I mean, would, would it have made me feel that way? Would it change the fact that I followed his Jeep too closely or that my truck had some damage from his Jeep rolling back into my truck? Would it have changed anything that was happening in that scenario? And then it, it just kind of hit me as I'm processing. Friends, how we respond to various events in this life matter. How we respond when something doesn't go our way or when something is unjustly done to us or when something happens that was out of our control but, but made us angry or upset or mad or whatever the case may be, when those things happen, how we respond to those moments matter. Now, maybe you're thinking, Danny, they, they wronged me and I will do whatever it takes to get them back. Or, Danny, they took advantage of me, and they deserve to be punished. Or, Danny, they cheated me, and I think they should have to suffer the consequences. Or they acted like a fool, and they embarrassed me, and they should be held accountable. Now, listen, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be consequences when someone does something wrong. And I'm also not saying that people should be able to do whatever they want to to you, and you should just passively let them take advantage of you. But what I do want you to think about, don't forget the context of 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're unfamiliar with it, these are Christians who have been displaced because of persecution. They're running for their lives. They're living in another land, and they're doing their best in the midst of suffering and injustice to represent Jesus. Now, this is the context in which Peter is writing in. So with the way that we respond to life, when it doesn't go our way, here's what I want you to really think about. I want you to think about your response to these various events 
and how that response matters for the sake of the gospel. Listen, how does your response in any particular situation benefit the name of Jesus or the advancement of his kingdom on this earth? Do you really know what, what I've processed since then, what's dawned on me since that moment when that Jeep rolled back and we had this weird conversation in the intersection at Guntown? Like, here's what's actually processed in my mind. What would I say to this guy? If he showed up at church the next week and I was preaching about salvation in Jesus, but I acted like a fool in that moment, what would I say when he came in these doors and there I am standing going, hey, welcome, so glad you're at church. My name's Danny, I'm the pastor here. And then he went, oh, I know exactly who you are. Peace, I'm out, right? I know how you act. I know how you live. I see how you respond to moments that aren't that great. If that is what a Christian looks like, then let me tell you something, friends. I want no part of it. Think about it with me for just a moment. Maybe you think, maybe you think I would have been well within my rights to be upset, okay? Maybe you're out there thinking, Danny, in that scenario, you are well within your rights to even fight that guy and put him in his place. Okay, I'm with you. Danny, you know what? You are even within your rights to report this moment as an accident and make his insurance pay for minimal damages to your truck. Okay, I got you. I'm not saying that that's not within my rights. I'm not saying that according to worldly standards, that might even be the way to approach most situations. I'm not even saying that according to our culture, that we shouldn't get even with people who have done wrong to us. According to the standards of this world, that's exactly what you should do. But we're not talking about the standards of this world. At the end of the day, would any of those responses have pointed him closer to Jesus? Would any of the ways that we respond in some of these types of moments, are we responding in a way that points people to Jesus? You say, Danny, why are you bringing all this up? Because I think this is the theme of the difficult passage that Peter is about to share with the exiles that are fleeing for their lives, living under tyranny. Listen to what he writes. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm gonna start reading in verse 13. Be subject to, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now friends, listen to me. I know this passage is difficult. I know it requires some understanding and some common sense. 
But I want you to focus on something as we think about this passage of Scripture. This is not a popular passage of Scripture for people today, right? We live under authorities that we don't necessarily always agree with. But can I put this back in proper perspective? What they were living in when Peter wrote this letter to people who were fleeing for their lives was even well beyond what we deal with here in America. And Peter still said, though this is not a popular notion these days, it certainly wasn't one that day either because he said, submit. Listen, this is not just a strange teaching. This is a radical teaching, right? Think about the audience that Peter's writing to. They're exiles. They've been scattered. They've been mistreated. They've been imprisoned. They've been enslaved. They've been rejected by family members. They've been singled out by employers. And they've been attacked by law enforcement officials who were supposed to be the very ones protecting them. They were living under an emperor, under a leader who was growing increasingly insane and anti-Christian. Friends, I don't know if you know this, but the emperor at the time, Nero, is said to be so hateful of Christians that he would literally light their bodies on fire just to be lamps in his garden at night. This is what they're living under. But notice, notice what you don't read. Never does Peter tell those exiles to start a revolt against the evils of the government or against the evils of any other leaders. Peter seems to be saying something that is very much different and very difficult at times for us to understand. He seems to be saying, submit. But why? Why do good to those who cause suffering? Why live as servants of God? Why honor everyone? Why love the brotherhood? Why fear God? Why honor the emperor? Why endure unjust suffering? Danny, I don't want to do that. I don't like the sound of that. That's not good for me. That hurts my pride. That doesn't benefit my family. That's not good for the Boudreaux. Hey, friends, let me tell you something. God's not concerned always about what's good for you. He's concerned about what brings him glory. Never get a lot of amens on that one. I'm not saying it's not difficult to embrace. But what I will ask you is this. If in our suffering, we bring the name of Jesus more honor, then are we willing to suffer? Matter of fact, Peter answers these questions and he gives us a couple of reasons why submission is so important to us. Let me show you the first one. Here's what he tells us. When we submit, this is directly from 1 Peter chapter two. When we submit, we follow God's will. Boom. Like right there, I could take the headset off, we could pray, we could be finished because this is the greatest message that any believers need to embrace in this room this morning. Danny, why should I submit to the things that God's calling me to submit to here? I don't like it, I don't agree with it, I don't feel comfortable with it. I'll tell you why, friends. Your greatest motivation is because it's God's will and we as believers should be obedient to what he has for us. There shouldn't be any more need for why we should submit other than we follow God's will when we do it. Look back at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Right? They've been put there by God to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. But don't miss what it says in verse 15. For this is the will of God. 
Now listen, this isn't something new to Peter. God desires this and has desired this from his people from the beginning, to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Jesus talks about civil obedience to Peter in Matthew 17 when he talks about paying the temple tax. He talks about civil obedience again in Matthew 22 when he talks about paying taxes to Caesar. This is that famous passage of scripture when they show him a coin and it's got a picture of Caesar on it. Jesus says, if it belongs to Caesar, give it to Caesar. But if it belongs to God, give it to God. The apostle Paul also gives a stern warning about obeying governing authorities when he wrote this in Romans 13. Listen to these words. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. It is the will of God that we be subject to human institution. Later, Paul will write to Timothy to remind their people how much they should care for governing institutions. When in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, pray for your leaders. This, my friends, is the ultimate level of respect. Peter recognized, as did Paul, as did Jesus, that government is an institution of God and that a country's laws must be obeyed for the common good of all. You can go back to the flood in Genesis chapter 9 when God established a new covenant with Noah. After wiping off the evil off the face of the planet, he starts a new law. It was really brought to light when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. All of the law was given for good to help the people live peaceably and bring glory to God. Now just pause for a moment. So I know what you're thinking, Danny, that's super difficult. What if they disagree with us? What if they don't follow God? What if they're godless people? Now listen, focus in for just a moment. Think back to what Peter wrote. Be subject to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. In this moment, all I can think about is the people that Peter is writing to laughing. What are you talking about? They punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. That's not what the governing authorities are doing around our neck of the woods, Peter. And if they're not laughing, their other response is probably crying because they're suffering for what they're doing for Jesus. How could they submit to them? How could they love those who have done such wrong to them? Well, for me, friends, it only comes down to one phrase. We are to be subject for the Lord's sake. End of discussion. Now listen, if it's for my sake, then I'll do what's best for me. I'll get revenge, I'll retaliate, I'll attack. If it's for the sake of my family, that's a different type of motivation, right? If it's for this church, different type of motivation. It's not for me. My submission is not for Danny's sake. My submission is for the Lord's sake. So when we honor human authorities that have been placed there by God, we're actually honoring him, submitting first to him. And submitting to God is the motivation behind any submission to other leaders. This 
is the will of God. God's will is for his followers to submit. Let me show you a second reason. If God's not enough of the motivation for us to submit so that we can show people Jesus, let me, let me show you the second one. When we submit, we silence the ignorance of foolish people. That is directly from 1 Peter 2.15. Look at it again. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He wants us to silence the critics of Christianity through doing good. You know what the word silence means? Literally, it means to muzzle. It carries the idea of gagging or stopping someone's mouth to the point that a person was unable, incapable of response. Do you imagine if we started living in a way on this earth, loving in a way, respecting in a way, honoring in a way like God's calling us to honor. Could you imagine if we live in such a way that there would be no way for there to be critics of what God's doing? I mean, could you imagine if the response was this? I tell you what, that church down there, they are just too kind to our community. I can't handle it anymore. I tell you what, they are too loving. They are too giving. They are too sacrificing. They are too gracious. I tell you what, that church up there on the hill, I want nothing to do with them anymore because they are just too good. I'm not sure it would actually go like that, right? What if instead of all the things that non-believers think about Christians, what if instead of all those rumors and all those lies and all those misconceptions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what if instead of only knowing what Christians stand against, what if we set the record straight and we showed this community exactly what Jesus stands for? What if that was the change that would happen as we submit in a way that silences the ignorance of foolish people. I love what Paul writes in Titus 3. Listen to this. He said, remind them to be submissive. He's talking to the church. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now watch this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. He says we were once the fools, talking ignorantly about the things of God, but our eyes have been opened so that we know the truth about Jesus. And now... Peter's reminding those exiles, as you live in this world, as you deal with unjust treatment, as you suffer for the name of Jesus, do so, friends, in submission. Why? Because you will get the opportunity to correct the rumors about what it really means to follow Jesus. I tell people all the time, I hate when people know what I do for a living. I hate it. As a matter of fact, one of my jokes right now is Jeremy Kennedy, Courtney's husband, he goes with me to the gym lately. And so now everybody in the gym knows that I'm the Baptist preacher up the road. Like I can't just be a normal human being. I have to be the pastor at First Baptist. You say, Danny, why is that a big deal? Because when people know what I do for a living, they don't act like themselves anymore. Like now all of a sudden, I feel like everybody's going, hey, I'm sorry, or man, I wish I didn't say that, or hey, I understand you think this, so I won't talk about it in front of you, or man, I tell you, we were doing this the other night. Oh, wait, can't say that in front of you. You're a preacher, right? Like that. And here's what I discover. 
All people think about when they find out who I am is they think about all the rumors, all the lies, all the misconceptions about what they've heard about Christianity and maybe even Baptist preachers. Now you say, Danny, shouldn't they know you don't like to sin? Absolutely. I want them to know that I love Jesus and I honor God, but I don't want them to think in every response that Danny does it like this, or Danny won't do that, or Danny's too good for that, or over here, over there, whatever the case may be. I want them to know I'm an actual person who's struggling in this life too, who's trying to follow Jesus the best way that I can. I want them to know we're all in this together. I'm not any better or any worse. I want them to know that the same Jesus who died for me died for them. I want them to know. I want to put an end to the rumors. I want them to know I'm not trying to create a revolution unless that revolution means people living for Jesus. That's the revolution I want people to know. Man, people know I'm a Baptist preacher. They're like, man, I know what you just don't like alcohol. I tell you, I can't, I I don't know if I can smoke in front of you. You're a Baptist preacher. I tell you, I don't know, man. I got some things in my past and in my life. And I tell you, y'all just don't like transgender and y'all just don't like gay people and y'all just don't like, I tell you, that's what Baptist means. I tell you what, friends, all these misconceptions about Christianity that many of us have contributed to, we now, through submission, get to, get to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's not about what we're against. It's not about who we are. It's about whose we are. And we want people to know Jesus, the one who loves us right where we are and does turn everything upside down. I want the chance to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That's exactly what's happening in their day. Man, these people have another king that they're loyal to. This is a rebellion that wants to overthrow our way of life. They want to destroy our government and set up a new kingdom. Rumors, lies. Now, as they submit, they get the opportunity to flip it upside down. If the only thing that people know about Jesus is from your life, let me ask you something, friends. All they know about Jesus is from you. What do they know about Jesus? Don't forget what Peter told him just before this passage of Scripture. This is 1 Peter 2, verse 12. It's in this context. Listen to it. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That's what we want, friends. We want to silence the ignorance by pointing people to Jesus who changes everything. This is why he says, live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You know some friends, we don't belong to this kingdom here. We don't belong to the government here, the authorities here. We belong to another place. We belong to a new kingdom. We belong to a heavenly hope. But Peter reminds them, don't use that as an excuse to do bad things. Instead, choose submission as servants of God in order that you can honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. He wants us through the way that we live here on this earth right now. He wants that to be a representation of Jesus to the world. When we submit, we get to silence the critics of Christianity as we follow God's will. We get to educate people on what a Christian really is. So live as servants of God by honoring everyone, by loving the brotherhood, by fearing God, by honoring the emperor. Is this how you're responding to the world around you? Let me show you this last one. I gotta hurry up. 
Why should we submit, Danny, to the injustices of this world? Well, because when we do, we follow the will of God. When we do, we get to silence the ignorance of foolish people. But also, listen, when we submit, we open opportunities for the gospel. This may be the most challenging portion of this scripture. Peter says, verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Now I want to make a couple of comments here. Quick note about servants or slavery in this context versus what we think of from U.S. history. That's typically where our minds go when we think about servanthood or slavery. Let me, let me break a few myths here, the difference in New Testament, the difference in U.S. history. Here's a couple of them. Racial factors in the New Testament played zero role to whether or not you were a servant. Slavery was based on social, economical, and political status, not the color of your skin. Education was greatly encouraged and enhanced a slave's value to the point that many slaves were more educated than the very person who owned them. Many slaves carried out sensitive and highly responsible social functions. In other words, listen, they could hold high status, high ranking positions in the government. They could be farmers, doctors, lawyers, nannies, construction workers, writers, accountants, agents, secretaries, even more. The list goes on and on. They could be all of those things. They could even own property. As a matter of fact, some slaves owned even other slaves. The majority of urban and domestic slaves could legitimately anticipate being freed by the age of 30. And typical freeborn Roman citizens despised working as long-term employees for others. As a matter of fact, it's probably better to think about servanthood in Peter's day as employers and employees of our day. You say, Danny, what do you mean? It shouldn't matter what race you are based on your job, right? Becomes how educated you are, what you know, your experience. Are you the most qualified? How many of you only own what you own because a boss pays you a certain amount of money for your services every week as you punch a clock? How many of you work in a place where that place has actually paid for higher education for you because you became more valuable to them? How many of you have a boss above you, but you have other employees under you? Like, think about the comparisons of servanthood in his day compared to employees and employers of our day. It's the same concept. How many of us might feel like we are under the authority of someone else because we have to go to work every day in order to pay our bills? We call this normal life. So when Peter's writing this letter, some of you may think, well, man, how does the Bible uh, uh, you know, celebrate slavery? Why are the New Testament writers not saying it's wrong to be a slave? Everybody should be free because it's not the kind of slavery you're thinking about. What he's saying is that in their world, they had employers and employees. That's how their economical system worked. It's the same for us today. So you know what Peter's saying? He's saying, hey, all you out there who hate your boss, 
who want to get back at your employer, who think you're being done wrong, who think this or that, and you want to just get revenge or pay them back. He's saying, hey, through the way that you love your boss, through the way that you honor your employer, through the way that you work hard and continue to serve, through the way that you represent God where you work, it could change everything. You say, Danny, how? It can open opportunities for the gospel. Let me show you what I mean by this. I'm going to go quick. We got to hurry up. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. You know what this sounds like? You say, Danny, you saying I should be gracious to my employers even when they are ugly and unjust to me? Are you saying that I should offer grace even when they don't deserve it? Yes. And by the way, guess who that should remind us of? Jesus. Who, can I tell you something, friends? Though you deserve death, graciously offered you and me life. Who didn't deserve to die for the sins of the world, but chose to climb on a cross and submit ultimately to someone greater than himself for the good of others? Is that not the picture of what Peter's trying to paint right now for every one of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus? You know what he's saying? Ultimately, he's reminding us of this. He's reminding us of whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. He's telling us that through the way that you submit and love others, even when it's unjust, could open up opportunities for the gospel. Now, let me just remind you of something. Don't get crazy with this or think I'm crazy, even though you might already. Don't let that be the reason why you think I'm crazy. This doesn't mean there won't be occasions where we can't submit. When following earthly leaders means we will disobey God, we can't submit. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, great examples. Daniel, great example. King Saul's bodyguard who refused to murder the priests in 1 Samuel, great example. Peter, who defied the laws of the Lamb when they told him that he couldn't preach in the name of Jesus anymore in Acts chapter 4. He said, y'all do whatever you want to do. But as for me, I'm going to preach about Jesus. I'm always reminded of what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Listen to this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Will it always be possible? Of course not. But as long as it is possible for you to respond in submission for the sake of the gospel, do it. I think this entire discussion from Peter is a reflection of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Let me read it to you. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I really think it comes down to one major idea. Do I desire my well-being over God being worshipped? Do I desire my comfort over God's commands? Am I selfish or submissive. Listen, if you're in the room this morning and you don't know Jesus, can I tell you something? You may have heard a lot of rumors. You may be mistaken on what it means to follow Christ, but I want to tell you something. Today, you can learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I'd love to open up my Bible, tell you what Jesus did for you and how much he wants to change your life, and I would love to set the record straight. In just a moment, I'll be in that lobby. You come find me, I'll take my Bible and introduce you to a relationship with Jesus. But you know what? 
Peter's not talking to people who don't know Christ in this text. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the elect exiles. He's talking to those who have a living hope, who are called to be holy, who are born again. He's talking to people who should be living in a way, responding in a way that points to Jesus no matter what. As much as you are responsible, as much as you can control it, submit, love, be full of grace, and point people to Jesus. Friends, you might be here this morning and say, Danny, I'm a follower of Christ, but I'll be honest, that's not how I've been responding. Well, if that's the case, here's what I would tell you. We submit to earthly authorities, even unjust ones, for the ultimate goal of people submitting to the ultimate authority, which is God. That's our goal. We want people to know him. And so whatever that takes, we're willing, we want it, we'll serve him. Whatever that takes, we'll swallow our pride. We'll take the injustice, we'll suffer, why? Because the Lord will work and bless even in the midst of our suffering in a way that he never could when we didn't. Will we follow his will? Will we silence the ignorance? Will we take the opportunities to present the gospel to the doors that God opens for us. You know, I read this story this past week. I was telling somebody, it might have been Corey. It was about these two German missionaries. These two guys, they were younger. They had, they had heard of this slave ministry that was going on in the West Indies and God broke their heart to go to the slaves and tell them about Jesus. They wanted to go witness, share the gospel with them. Well, listen, as they began inquiring about how they could do it and where they could meet up and where they could present the gospel, they were met with resistance. They said, you can't. You can't come here and tell these people about Jesus. We refuse. So you know what these two young guys did? It's crazy. It's radical. These two young German missionaries, early 1700s, they sold themselves to the slave owners. They became slaves. Why? so that they could be with the slaves to tell them about Jesus. Say, Danny, you tell me Peter wants us to sell ourselves into slavery? No. But what I am telling you is that Jesus, as much as it responds on, uh, res, res, is responsible for you, that was awkward, as much as it depends on you, you respond in a way that points to Christ. How can we submit, not for us, how can we submit for him so that other people can meet Jesus? Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. Thank you. Praise you. You're awesome. Jesus, thank you so much.